Uh, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we'll be this morning. I apologize, you get week number two of a voice that's uh, not quite back yet, but uh, God is good all of the time. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me uh, who I'm rooting for in the Super Bowl, and I got to tell you, um, I'm really not a sports fanatic. And, uh, and uh, all right, what was that? Oh, yeah, don't lie in church, or from up here especially. Uh, so I won't tell you who I'm going to root for. I'll just hold this up and uh, let's let that go. I purchased this in 1979. It was my first uh, pro football game in Arrowhead Stadium. My dad took me to see the Pittsburgh Steelers against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was the year I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers because I got Rocky Blyer and and, John, uh, and uh, Lynn Swan's autograph. And uh, so I bought this there, and the Steelers won 30-3 to on that day. I'll, I'll never forget it. But that's who I'm rooting for tonight, if that really uh, doesn't even matter. Uh, on the front of your program, you saw this, uh, this phrase, Vision Sunday. And... Um, Seeing that it might elicit uh, different reactions, especially depending on how much time you've been here at Pontiac Bible Church. If you've been here for quite a while and you see Vision Sunday, it's very possible that that feeling that you had, I'm not blaming anybody for these feelings, I'm just sharing, but a feeling that you might have is that, oh man, here we are, we're the beginning of February, Jared's going to talk, he's going to give us a talk on the Beyond stuff beyond our abilities, beyond our walls, beyond ourselves. He's going to talk about that because, you know, that we're in that vision. We know that our mission is to bring the transforming hope of Jesus to Livingston County and the world. And we know for such a time as this, that we're in a, in a time of vision for our beyond campaign. And, and uh, so you're, you might be thinking, oh, he's just going to talk about that. We've heard that a lot. I've been here a long time. Hey, some good news. I'm not, I'm not really talking about that today. Uh, or, or maybe if you're new here and you're like, Vision Sunday, that sounds exciting. Even the poem that um, Pastor Josh recited when I was talking to him about this being Vision Sunday, he's, he was really excited about what's next, what God's, what's God bringing to us next, and he couldn't wait. And so maybe you're waiting for us to unveil something spectacular, or, or there's some fear and trepidation that, oh my goodness, we're just going to talk over the Beyond Campaign stuff again, and, and we're not. Maybe there's some excitement today, but just... Let me share with you the same thing that the prophet Isaiah shared out of the mouth of God when he said in, in Isaiah 48, 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Okay, God is always at, at work. And um, vision is about looking ahead, looking ahead and seeing what God has for us, what will bring us meaning in 2020, what will bring us momentum, what will bring us spiritual growth, what will bring us spiritual fruit. Those are all the things that we're looking forward to. Um, every year at the beginning of the year, and actually at the end of 2019 into uh, 2020, I, I've been doing this for the last six years when heading into January, uh, whether it's through my quiet time or whether it's listening through some other preachers preaching and I'm reading and studying scripture, um, I ask God to lead me to a passage or a few verses, a series of verses that I could, um, I could commit to praying every single moment that I'm in my office, every single day that I'm in my office. So I have some pictures of missionaries up every day. I get, they get prayed for in my office, and I have a list in the front of my Bible of things that get prayed for every single day. And, and uh, then I pray these verses. Last year it was in Ephesians chapter 5 that I prayed these verses for an entire year for our church. 
So I have those verses that I believe God's given me. Um, it's not where we're actually going to be studying today. And I, gotta, I actually shied away from them. And the reason I shied away from them is because they're so familiar to me. I use these two verses out of the New Testament uh, a lot in doing um, marital counseling, premarital counseling, other types of counseling. I use these two verses a lot. And so when God was revealing it to me, Jared, I want you to pray this over the church for 2020. I'm like, man, you got another, got a few other verses somewhere. Actually, I did. I was in my office. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to flip through. There's got to be something good in this Bible. And, and, and I'm just like, what am I, what should I, I don't want these verses. And I couldn't get away from it. And uh, they're now officially the verses for 2020. Uh, this is what I'm going to be praying uh, over Pontiac Bible Church. And it's actually, they're framed in my office. So this says selfless. That's the theme, the vision for 2020. And uh, these are verses from the New Living Translation. Question, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I, I was expecting a yes or a no. From, okay. is, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Does that, does that encourage you at all? I belong to Christ. Okay, so there is, okay. Let me go on to the second question that the writer asks. Any comfort from his love? Yeah. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Do you have fellowship with one another? Yeah. A little bit harder now. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? This is what I'm praying. Then make me, God, I'm, I'm going to say it from God's perspective, not mine. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Hey, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. And so those are the verses that I'll be praying over Pontiac Bible Church for 2020. Then I added this down to the bottom. Attitude, reflect leadership, captain. That's not a Bible verse. Okay, that comes from Julius in Remember the Titans. Okay. But I want to remember myself that it's my attitude that, um, that will show and it will be your attitude that will reflect in what I show as a leader. And uh, so the vision for 2020 is quite simple. That you and I would be selfless. Selfless. We're not merely looking into the future, but we're putting that transforming hope of Jesus into action. And that's my prayer for us. Today we're going to look at some bad examples and um, what I'm going to call uh, five enemies of selflessness. Five enemies of selfless. Um, and we're going to look at some bad examples. Then we're going to look at one really good example and five allies of selflessness. So five enemies of selflessness, five allies of uh, selflessness. We're going to look at some bad examples. And then we're going to look at this one really good example. Is there any guess from anyone in this room that might be able to already answer who would be the one perfect selfless example that we might look at today? Who might that be? Jesus. See how easy this is going to be today? This is going to be so good. 
So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, get to Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 34. We're going to look at some bad examples, some natural examples, some worldly examples, some enemies of selfless. Um, let's, uh, as we look at this, I want us to ponder something. So let, let me read just the first few verses, verses 20 through 24. We're going to go all the way through 34, but let me just read verses 20 to 24. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came up to him with her sons and kneeling before Jesus, she asked Jesus for something and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't, you, don't, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, it's not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. That's going to be important a little bit later. And when the ten... Heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. There's some interaction that's going to take place here. And this is happening just before Jesus and the disciples enter Jerusalem for that final week before Jesus comes to the cross. They're actually in Jericho or just outside of Jericho. He's been with his disciples for three years. He's constantly been the example of selflessness in front of his disciples. They're still missing it. And so he goes into a teaching moment. Now here's what could happen this morning. So we're going to, let's just hit the pause button for just a moment. When we talk about the enemies of selfless, it's going to be really, 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 really easy for us to point our fingers at someone else. In fact, you're going to hear some things that are so common in this world today that you're going, oh, I can put a name to that. Oh, I can put a name to that one. Oh, I can put a name to that one. How about we just press pause and ask the question at the beginning, and we'll ask it again at the end. God, am I selfish? So let's look at some enemies this morning from the text. Selfless enemy number one, scheming. Scheming is an enemy of selflessness. Look at the text. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, they're considered the sons or their nickname, the sons of thunder, came to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. There's something taking place behind the scenes. And, and, and we see this. Maybe, maybe you've seen it in your job. Maybe you've seen it in some relationships. So there's some scheming, some things going on behind the scenes. There's some... Uh, things politically that are happening. There's some positioning that's taking place. There's some posturizing for where they ought to be in the coming kingdom that's happening here. And, and so we actually come into the story knowing, come on, seriously, by the time she comes to Jesus, there's been some conversations behind some backs, right? There's been some scheming taking place. This isn't the mother of James and John coming to Jesus with her little, two little children, Jesus would it be possible for my two sons to sit at your right and with your left? These are two grown men that have schemed with their mom. And what's really interesting is Mark also tells this story, but Mark doesn't even mention the mom. 
Why? Because there's scheming that's taking place. These two are trying to posturize themselves for a place in the kingdom where they can be connected to the connected. And, and, and we've seen this. And again, put, put, push pause. Don't be, oh, I got a name for someone like that. Someone that likes to flex their muscles. Someone that likes to do things behind our back. I know someone like that. They hurt me. Okay, let's push the pause button and ask, am I selfish? I don't know that there's a Greek word for this, but there is a, an English word for it. We call it suck uppery. That's what scheming is. It's suck uppery, right? It's the same thing that happened when Johnny Fish and the Finns uh, stayed at Richie Cunningham's house in Happy Days and had to be there for, in secret. And Richie Cunningham couldn't tell anybody, couldn't tell anybody that Johnny Fish and the Finns were there. Have you guys not seen Happy Days with Johnny Fish and the Finns? And I tried this in the first service. It failed miserably. And I thought maybe here some of you would know. You have to go watch that, okay? Richie Cunningham housed this rock band in his house, in secret, so nobody could know. And everybody was trying to scheme and connive how to get to know Richie. And then they blamed Richie for these terrible seats that they got at the concert. Then Johnny Fish and the Finns, a shout out from the stage. Great job, Richie, for keeping our secret so that we could be safe and rest at your house. And then everybody comes to Richie like, oh, we knew you were doing what you were supposed to. You're a man of integrity. And Richie's like, uh, this seat's taken because of all this scheming that was taking place. All right, even as I explained it to you, you're going to have to go watch it. It's a, it's a great episode. All right, I am permanently taking that out of this message. Set that aside. But here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 24, 8 and 9. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer and the schemes of a fool are sinful. The enemy of selfless is a character of scheming. Slips right into the next one. This happens so easily. The second one, selfless enemy number two is manipulating. You see this in a passive aggressive move by James and John's mom. She came up to him in verse 20 with her sons and kneeling before him, she posturized herself bowing down. Actually, what she was doing here, uh, um, manipulation is nothing more than deceit with a ribbon on it. That's what she's doing here. She's wanting to see. She's using a passive-aggressive approach. James and John use a third party. Is her mom? Is their mom bowed down in false humility? And that's the key to understanding if you or if you have been manipulated or if you are a person who manipulates, is there, is there some type or some form of false humility in you, much like the Mac Davis country song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. I even, man, two strikes. I don't, I'm eliminating all other illustrations today. Um, the idea here is that with false humility, we often don't even know when, when we're being played. A person that manipulates speaks in such a way to use passive-aggressive language so that they can get what they want. And just like Satan, a person who manipulates over-promises and under-delivers every single time. That's how you know whether or not you have been manipulated or you are manipulating. Because just like Satan, 
Manipulation over promises and under delivers every single time. She was manipulating. I, I can't understand how you would think possibly that you can manipulate Jesus. But she gives it a shot, which leads us to our third one. Our selfless enemy, number three, is arrogance. She said that my two sons might uh, sit at your right hand and at your left. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And, and understand, you need to understand what the cup is here. This is the cup of the wrath of God. This is suffering to the point of death, the point of death on a cross. That's what this cup is. Can, can these two young men drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And how did they respond? You bet I can. You bet I can. We can handle it. We've got this. And they had no idea. And God's plan A is humility and God's plan B is humiliation. James and John would know. You know, they're called the sons of Zebedee. They're called the sons of thunder. These are strong men. They are personality men. These are great men. And yet John will get exiled to the island of Patmos to live out his life by himself on an island where he then has a vision of heaven and God and, and reveals to us the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He writes that while on the Isle of Patmos. <laughs> I'm going to look at that and go, man, I'd like to live on an island by myself. He's exiled onto an island in Patmos. James is going to know. James is going to know about the wrath of the cup that is poured out. James becomes the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And then gets beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. They had no idea what cup was going to be poured out. But in their arrogance and their positioning and their posturing and their desire to be connected to the connected in the kingdom of God, they arrogantly, selfishly thought that they could take anything that came Jesus' way. Do y'all remember what took place when Jesus was arrested with the, with the disciples? They scattered. They ran to an upper room where they prayed together. They were afraid for their lives. They couldn't take the cup at this point in time. Which leads to another enemy. And selfless enemy number four is alienation. Alienation. Uh, isn't this crazy? In, in verse 24... And when the 10 heard it, the 10 were right there. The other 10 disciples were either right there or close by. Or when they heard of it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Selfishness has the potential to destroy relationships. It was Dale Carnegie. You've heard the title of his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's Dale Carnegie's book. Well, James and John could have written a book, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. That's what they could have written. But Jesus and the writer here, Matthew, doesn't let the 10 off. They don't, they're not off the hook here. It says that they were indignant. That indignant isn't, what are they doing over there? What kind of conversation are they having with Jesus? They were upset that they hadn't thought about it first. They were actually saying that word indignant means that's not fair. 
I should have a, who do they think they are? I should have that place at the right. I should have that place at the left. I deserve these things. I have a right to these things. I am a Christian every much as that person is a Christian. There should be some things that I should get from Jesus. And it alienates. Their friends were nearby. And selfishness had such a terrible potential to destroy those relationships. You know, it's self, it's not money. It's not adultery. It's not stealing. It's not lying that ruins relationships. It's selfishness. It's because we're selfish with our money that we cause problems in our marriage. It's because we're selfless or selfish with our bodies that we fall into adultery. It's because we're selfish and we want to look good in front of other people that will lie. We'll steal things. We borrow with the Christians. We'll borrow with the intent not to return. We don't steal. We just borrow with the intent not to return. Why is that? Why is that? It's not because that in Ailey is the issue. In Ailey, the issue at the core of this is that we're selfish. It's the number one killer of relationships. And it leads to one other place. Animosity. Animosity. It's not fair. What about me? What about what I deserve? Why don't I get those places of prominence? And Jesus took this opportunity. um, He chose this opportunity to teach his disciples and to teach us the values that are eternal in the kingdom of heaven. He shares this example of worldly, cultural, natural responses, how how we should live in this world. And he uses the name Gentiles to talk about this worldly, natural conduct. This mindset that assumes that power and authority equal greatness. Isn't it interesting that the culture in which Matthew lived and the culture in which Jesus was speaking at this point in time is the same exact natural culture, worldly culture that we live in today that for some reason think that power and authority equals greatness. Verse 25, Jesus called them to him and You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them to lord it over, to remind them that I'm I'm in charge. I'm the leader here. You submit to me. The mindset assumes that power and authority define greatness. And Jesus turns their world upside down with with this statement that he makes in verses 26 through 28 that are both parallel and highly poetic. The world, the Gentiles, lord it over you. Their great ones exercise authority over them. But let me command you in this. It will not be so among you. And if this were my prayer, for you and for me, for Pontiac Bible Church, that it would not be so among us, that we think that authority and power is only going to lead to greatness. Instead, we would look at our life and go, how can I be selfless? How can I give my life? What can I do to serve? It shall not be so among you. But whoever, different translation, but anyone would be great among you must be your servant. Servant. 
And if you have a pretty decent reference Bible or a pretty decent study Bible, you can go down to the bottom of your notes and you'll see that that word servant is the word that we have for diakonos. It's the word deacon. Anyone, anyone who wants to be called great must be your servant. And whoever, anyone would be first among you must be your slave. Different translation, your bondservant, a willing servant of you. Now, here's what's really, really interesting. That word your before bondservant or slave, that word your is plural. Here's what Jesus is saying. Be a servant to everyone. We don't get to pick and choose who we are going to serve, what type of person we're going to serve, what type of person in our community, what type of person at Walmart, what type of person at Big R. We don't get to choose. If we're going to serve and follow the example of Jesus, the example is selfless that anyone who wants to serve, must be willing to serve everyone. Everyone. Even, so poetic, even as the Son of Man. He's making a connection with these men because he is fully God and fully man and in different places he's called the Son of God and here he calls himself the Son of Man to make this connection. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What are some lessons that we can learn from these statements that Jesus made? Five allies of selfless. Selfless ally number one is submission. Submission to God's plan of action. We go all the way back to verse 26. He says, you know what? You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Even in this moment, Jesus is submitting in authority to God the Father. And then he says, don't even let this be among you. Follow me as I follow the plan of God. This is God's will for us to be selfless, is to be willing to submit. And we use that word in such an ugly word, like it's some kind of authoritative bashing that we're going to take from someone. When God says, the greatest love that you can have is to submit to my authority and selflessly serve others. Let it not be so among us. Let us not think that authority and power is greatness in this world. Let's live differently in 2020. Let's see people for who they are, care for them, and love them, and support them, and come alongside of them, and do that in submission to the plan of God's action, which is to show the transforming hope of Jesus to Livingston County and the world. And it's not just you. It's me. We have to follow Jesus. Submission to God's plan of action, just like Jesus. Selfless ally number two is humility. Verse 26, servant, diaconus, deacon. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. We have to be careful here that we don't take pride in our humility. It's really hard because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah tells us that. 
So our hearts can be deceitful. So we have to be really careful that um, we don't pride ourselves in our humility. You might ask, what does that look like? It looks like the, um, it looks like martyrdom. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working for Jesus. I'm, I'm doing all that I can. You just sit back. I'm gonna, let me take on this burden. Let me take on this weight. Let me handle it. I've got this. God is good all of the time. And we self-impose some kind of martyrdom on us. And it's a false humility. We have to be careful because our hearts are so deceptive. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And on the basis of that, that's, that's who we are in Christ. That's the character detail that we want to emulate. But also know this. I'm, I'm going to help some of you out this morning. Selfless, let me do it this way. Selfless does not equal limitless. Here's the issue. Jesus didn't serve everyone. He actually, at points when the crowd was crushing in on him, got into a boat with his disciples and got away from the crowd. And there was a multitude of people that weren't healed from him. He didn't heal every person. Not everybody went away from him having accepted his story. The rich young ruler walked away sad because he had much to lose. Jesus didn't heal everyone. Not, not everyone took on the followership of Jesus. As we serve, it's not limitless. We need to know that there's got to be space for rest. We need to know that there's got to be space for no. After one of the busiest days, at the very beginning of the book of Mark, Jesus had been um, uh, healing from sunup to sundown and teaching. And after it was even dark, which in a Jewish culture, everything stopped at dark. But even after it was dark, Jesus kept going. And then you get to the end of, of Mark uh, chapter 1, and it says, the very next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got away by himself in a desolate place to spend time with his father. Why? Because he knew he needed balance. His energy wasn't limitless. His service wasn't limitless. Your service, it's okay. It's not limitless. Selfless ally number three is sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Verse 28, to give, to voluntarily give, to give up his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom is closely associated with the idea of being held hostage. Right? You know that ransom, pay the ransom, hostage, set free is how it's supposed to happen. Jesus gave his life to ransom us from whatever held us hostage. What is it that holds us hostage? Our sin. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we would lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Jesus came to ransom us from our sin because our sin controls us. Jesus sacrificed, and as we follow his example, are we willing to sacrifice? Which leads us to ally number four, to serve. Jesus came to show us how to live, and he came to serve us. 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. What that doesn't mean is Jesus is my beck and call, like a servant boy or a butler or something, where I ring a little bell or ask for a genie to come and, hey, I need somebody to say, hey, Jesus, censure my servant. Bling, 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 bling. Jesus, censure my servant. That's not why Jesus came. That's not what servanthood means. Jesus didn't come. Um, Jesus didn't come so that we could tell him what to do. What it does mean, and this is incredible, Jesus gives us what we need. He serves us by giving us what we need. And we need Jesus. We need him. It doesn't mean that Jesus needs our help. Oh, he's a servant. And so I'm, I'm not you know, necessarily a servant. Jesus is a servant. So maybe, maybe just Jesus needs my help. It doesn't mean that Jesus needs our help. It means that we need Jesus. He's a servant because we need him. Matthew then gives us an example of what selfless looks like by the greatest exemplar, Jesus himself, in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. That's a really nice phrase there. Telling them to shut up. But they, the two blind men, cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want from me? Or what do you want me to do? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. I want us to see some very particular things in this example. There were two men in dire need of Jesus. They needed him. And at the moment that they cried out, the crowd of people rebuked them. Please, God, don't let us, in this day and age today, be a people that hear someone cry out for Jesus and have some kind of rebuking, judgmental thought about who they are. God, forgive us for how we walk into Walmart. God forgive us how we walk into County Market. God forgive us how we walk into Big R. When there may be someone in there in dire need of Jesus, and we would be at this judgmental, rebuking place, just basically saying, shut up. Are we willing to serve? Are we the crowd? The crowd that rebuked the blind men, the crowd that looks down on judgment on people today. Are we the crowd that we don't want to rub elbows with those who need Jesus? Do we want to bubble wrap our families? Do we want to bubble wrap our children? Do we want to bubble wrap our, our church so that we can protect us and protect the gospel? Good gracious, Matt Chandler's right. He says, the gospel is a lion. Open the cage. Open the cage. Be willing to serve anyone, anyone who might possibly need Jesus. Why? Because I needed Jesus. I need Jesus. Verse 34, it says that Jesus had pity on them. It's a terrible English word for what's taking place here. Because when we think pity, we're like, oh, bless his heart. They're blind. Yes, they're so 
simple. That's not what pity means here. The actual word pity here means a gut-wrenching opening of compassion. That it's like his insides are being ripped out when he sees these two blind men. Do we see people like that? Am I selfish? Or am I selfless? We can't meet all the needs that everyone has, but we can meet some. And that gives us our fifth selfless ally. See those in need and do something. Do anything. Do something. Know your limits. Know what you can and cannot do. I want you to see one last thing here as we close. Go back to verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's easy to just glance over words in here. I do it all the time when I'm reading. But we can't glance over the word for because literally it means instead of. See, Jesus didn't simply come and die to satisfy this some kind of sentimentality love that he has for us. Absolutely, John 3.16 is true. God so loved the world that he sent his unique one-of-a-kind son. That's absolutely true. But he didn't die for a sentimentality. He didn't die just for love. It's actually quite more than that. So listen carefully. He died instead of you. He died instead of me. When you have that in your mind and it connects to your heart, it changes your worship, it changes your communion, and it changes how you see people from a place of selfishness to a place of being selfless. I don't want you to look at the two lists today. Maybe you did what some others did. All right, here's the bad example and the enemies over here and here's the allies and Jesus is a good example. Maybe you made that list. Uh, there's, what I don't want you to do is look at that list and start asking, am I that or am I that or am I that or am I that? It's not the purpose of the list. Two questions today and that's it. The first one, are you willing to pray these things during our time of communion? First question, God, am I selfish? That's a really tough prayer to ask God to show you if you're selfish. And the second question is, God, can you help me grow to be selfless in 2020? I don't want to be the same person. By the time the end of 2020 comes, as I stand here, I don't want to be the same person I am in February of 2020. February 2020. I want to get to 2021 and continually ask, am I my selfless? This is our vision. This is our vision for 2020. Um, beyond ourselves, beyond our abilities, beyond our wealth, all of those things have to be saturated in selflessness. If they aren't, we won't go anywhere. We won't do anything. We won't submit to the authority of God. We won't change. We won't see people come to Christ. We won't show people that we love them and we care for them because we won't be changed. This is our vision that Jesus would saturate us in his selfless actions of hope to people around us, anyone and everyone. Let's just do something. 
Pastor, I don't, Pastor, I don't want to do that. Do something. Do something. The greatest example of altruism is Jesus. He is our submissive, humble, sacrificial servant who died in my place. Jesus paid it all. Instead of me. And instead of you. And let that drive you in this moment to the cross. To a time of common union together.